You know, we're, talk we're, we're talking today about saying the right thing to the right people at just the right time and changing history. We, we've, we've been doing a mini-series on words you ain't never heard. And in foreign languages around the world, there are these words that they use that have very precise meanings to sum up something that we have to have a paragraph to explain. And I'm going to share a couple more of those with you today. This is one of my favorites. It's backpfeifengesicht. It's a, it's a German word that means a face badly in need of a fist. <laughs> Some of you have had a backpfeifengesicht at times. There's an Arabic word, yach arberni, and it's, it, it's a word that, it's a hopeful declaration that you will die before someone you love deeply. It's because you cannot stand to live without them, and it literally means, may you bury me. So, I hope my son outlives me. I just couldn't handle the alternative. So they have this one precise word that says, may you bury me. And it means I love you so deeply, so desperately, that I, I, I just don't know how I could live without you. And it's just this one precise word that has such deep meaning. But what we've been dealing with is, is the French word, mot juste. And it means it's like the exact precise word for a particular situation. When we related it to writing. And when you're a writer, you want to find the mot juste in your writing. You want to find that exact perfect word that stimulates the reader in such a way as to where they feel you, they get you, they understand the scene you're trying to set. And so it's a, it, it in itself is a very precise, exact word. But last, last time I spoke, we, we talked about how Christians a lot of times sound like crazy people. We use all this Christianese language, and we, we sound like foreign people or, or, or aliens to the vast majority of the people that are out there, and how we want to minimize the loony factor in the way that we talk. And so we talked about how, how not to speak, and today I want to talk about how to speak. How to incorporate the mojust into your life. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So you hear that. Don't let anything come out of your mouth except, what does it say? What is helpful for building others up. It says, only let what is helpful for building others up come out of your mouth. That it may benefit those who listen. According to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So it says, when you talk, do it in a way that builds people up. Let the only thing that comes out of your mouth be that. Last week we talked about how scripture teaches that a person who can control their tongue is a perfect person. That's an insane claim. But it says if you can control everything that comes out of your mouth, you have achieved perfection. And how is perfection described when it comes to the use of your voice? It's only speak what builds other people up. So it means when we talk, and most of us are just the opposite. We speak to make ourselves look good. We just do. I do it. You do it, everyone does it. But it says we should have the opposite view, that when we speak, it should penetrate other people's lives. And so I'm, I'm going to share several stories today of, of times when this happened, when someone spoke into another person's life and it changed them. Years ago, this is my example, years ago I was at a, a Christian conference. It's not this conference. This is just a picture I found online, but it's, it was similar in, in scope. And while the preacher was preaching, the, guy was, the, the teacher was teaching, I... Uh, Something was just stirred up in me because I've been having a really hard time in my life because I wanted to do something with my life. I, I, I had all these visions and dreams and things that I wanted to do for God. And, and it felt like everybody around me was just putting the brakes on me. Everybody was saying, you can't do that. You're not ready for that. 
you know, you, you, you need to take more time and develop as a Christian, become more mature. And, and I thought, no, I'm ready to go now. I want to go do something. And so I had all these visions of going overseas and going to New Orleans and going to Memphis and just talking to people about Jesus. And every, a lot of people were saying, whoa, whoa, hold on there, you know, holding me back. And so I actually ended up talking to the conference speaker. I found him in a hallway, said, can I talk to you for a while? He said, yeah. So we sat down and talked for about 20 minutes. And I, I kind of gave him my spiel. This is what's going on with me. And he said, you know what? He said, it's okay to feel like a Corvette engine trapped in a Pinto body. <laughs> he said, it's okay to feel that way. He said, a lot of people feel that way. And those are words that I'll never forget. And then he went on to say that when you feel the brakes put on you, and especially when it's other people, you need to look at that as probably a time when God is developing your character, when God is developing who you will become. And I'll tell you, I've never forgotten those words. I've never forgotten the difference it made in my perspective on life following that, the difference it made in how I related to, to, to some leaders in my life and some friends in my life and some family that I had. Uh, it, it changed everything. Those, those few little most-used words, those perfect words inserted into my life. And I'm telling you, Daylight Church wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for those words. If he hadn't said, you know what, maybe these people have some wisdom. Maybe you've got a lot to learn, pal. Maybe you just feel all revved up and ready to go, but maybe you're not equipped for it yet. And I, I know now, looking back after years and years of patience and endurance, knowing that those years were pivotal in my life. Those years were absolutely essential to where God wanted to take me. But it was his words that opened my eyes to that. And that's the kind of thing we're talking about. We're talking about encouraging people. This is one of three ways we're going to talk about speaking into people's lives today. Encouraging people. And it's the action of giving someone support, confidence, or hope. If you take the word encourage and break it down, we're talking about giving people courage. It means speaking words in such a way where something is raised up in them and they know they can win. They know they can keep moving forward. They know that they can have hope. And so I, I actually got online and asked, asked people for stories. What's, what's a story of sometimes somebody spoke into your life and that it made a difference? And I had about, I don't know, 13 people respond. And I'm going to tell you something. All 13 of them were females. Not a single guy responded. And my, my explanation of that is that girls rule and boys drool. <laughs> so 13 or 14 girls respond. And one lady responded and said, I've got a great story about my husband, but I'll make him tell it to you. I don't know. Ladies are awesome. Scripture says, encourage one another and build each other up. There's good ways and bad ways to do that. Here's an example of a bad way. Somebody painted graffiti. Don't give up on your stupid little dream. <laughs> Not the right way. This is Lena Schrader. She's a friend of mine who's a missionary to uh, Peru right now, Lima, Peru. And actually, her husband, Bill, and she, uh, this, is, this is part of what they do. They minister to kids down in Peru. And good friends of mine, and they'll actually be here at Daylight Church in just a few weeks, kind of sharing their story and who they are and, and what they're all about. But she talks about when she was in grade school and, and growing up from the first grade on, she was an excellent student, so she was often brought in front of the class as kind of an example to the class, and there was a lot of pressure on that. But there was a social stigma attached to it, too. And she had this really tiny, mouse-like, feminine, barely audible voice. She just... And people made fun of her for it. I don't even know if you heard me. She never spoke above a whisper. 
and kids made fun of her. And she talks about how she was basically, that the, there was this social ladder at her private school. It was a, a, a rich private school. And it kind of started in the first grade. And people got their cliques, and they stayed in their cliques. And she said she was two or three from the bottom. And one day in class, a kid started making fun of her in front of all the students, talking about how she didn't have a voice. Why can't she talk about her? Why can't we ever hear Lena? And the teacher spoke up in front of the class and said these words. She said, Lena has a beautiful, soft, feminine voice, and I like it. And Lena told me, she said, I have never forgotten those words. She, she, said, she said, from that day forward, I knew about myself, and I saw myself as good, and I saw myself as okay. And today, if you met Lena, she is anything but shy and anything but quiet. She's very verbose and fun and exciting to be around, but her personality has changed over time. But it was one teacher one time saying the right words at the right time that catapulted her into her future. Katie Gagel and I have talked about how many times in our life it was somebody saying the right thing at the right time that really directed our paths and sent us in the right direction. This is Ashley Vangrift, who most of, many of you will know last week headed down to Peru as a missionary. Separate organization, separate ministry. But she was at a conference just a little while back, a few months ago, and the conference speaker was talking about becoming a missionary. And she was sitting there thinking, man, I should really consider becoming a missionary. When she got a text on her phone from a friend right at that moment that said this, you need to quit your job here and go do missions. What? Craziness. Last week, she left for Peru. But it was, it was her being at a conference, right place, right time, and the Mojus came. The right person had Ashley on their mind and just sent her a simple text. And it registered and sent her into her future, changed her course of life. This is Bethany Becker. Bethany Becker was at a conference similar to the one I was at, a friend of mine. And she was thinking about going into university missions, going to campus, mission, campus ministries, where she would go to a university and establish kind of a parachurch church on the campus. And they, they had an internship program she could go through. But she was a single lady, and she wasn't super confident, and she didn't really know if she could do it. So she went to their elective and, to, to check out, could I do campus missions? And she introduced herself to a lady that was doing an internship at that time. And she said, I'm thinking about doing this internship. Tell me about it. And the lady <laughs> said, ah, I only do this because my husband wants to. And Bethany, she just went away deflated. She didn't even have a husband. She didn't think she could be a minister. And, and it was like, the only time ladies do ministry is because their husbands want to. And she just, she just said she left feeling awful and, and just basically said, I'm not going to do it. But as she was walking away, she encountered this guy in the hallway. And they struck up a conversation. And for whatever reason, he said, he said Bethany, why don't you sit down with me? And he, he said these words to her as they sat on, that, on those benches in that hotel. He said, you don't have to be afraid of what God is calling you to do. And you can do it without a husband. You are smart and you are capable. For whatever reason, those words had the exact opposite effect on Bethany as being deflated. Suddenly, she said, those words gave me life. That's how she wrote it. She said, those were life-giving words. So she stepped up. She went back to the place where they were signing up people for internships. She did her internship. Today, she and her husband, who she has recently married, are campus ministers that are doing a fantastic job. But it was, do you see, she was walking away from what could be God's destiny for her when someone stepped up and said, Bethany, you're smart and you're capable. And it changed the direction of her life. 
We've talked about encouragement. Let's talk about exhortation. This is kind of a, a churchy sound and word, so I want to I want to give you a definition of it. But Scripture teaches, and, and it, it's it's this guy Paul. He's talking to his mentee Timothy. Timothy's kind of a church pastor, and he's telling Timothy how to how to be a good pastor. And he says this. He says, "Until I come, give attention to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching." Here's what exhortation is. Exhortation is uh, an address of communication, emphatically urging someone to do something. So it's persuasive speech. So in encouragement, you're building people up, you're, you're feeding them and making them stronger. In exhortation, you're specifically targeting behavior. You're, you're trying to get people to change their behavior. And this is also a very scriptural way of building people up, of speaking into other people's lives. Stephanie Jones has been coming to church here for quite a while. And she would tell you that she was in and out of rehab centers. She had years of addictions, uh, of, of drug addiction, uh, was, was completely absorbed by it and, and basically justifying her life. And she had been to all these rehab centers, but she sat down with a lady named Michelle one day, and Michelle rocked her world. Michelle exhorted her. She said, something's got to change. And, and really, Stephanie hated her for it. This is what Michelle told Stephanie. Said, you can play the victim as long as you want, but things will never change as long as you do. You're being selfish, and she actually said being selfish and self-centered. And to act as if you are powerless to change is nonsense. And Stephanie went away angry. She went home and thought Michelle was the rudest person she had ever met at a rehab clinic. But three days later, she returned to Michelle and said, thank you. And Stephanie today says, I thank God every day for what Michelle said to me. Because that was the beginning of her sobriety. That was the start of her being clean. And she's been clean for a very long time. But it took someone saying words that weren't easy, and yet they were trying to be helpful. You, you notice in the passage in Ephesians, it says, according to their needs, that it may benefit those that listen. Sometimes, like this says, sometimes people just need a high five in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Scripture teaches us exhort and sound doctrine and refute those contradict. Sometimes we need to speak truth that's hard. I have a friend, Becky Lyle. This is her, her husband, Paul Lyle. And for years, she had a crush on Paul. And we were on a mission trip together. And she, she was sitting on a bus next to me. And she said, HL, she'd had a crush on him for years. I said, she said, HL, she said, I just want to let you know that I'm over Paul. She said, I've moved on. I, I'm in a good place now. And I don't have this immediate crush on him. And she says that, and I don't remember any of this, she says, I only said two words to her, and they were these words. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I kind of rolled my eyes at her. And she says that she, so I'm, I'm the king of exhortation. I mean, mot juice, baby. I mean, two words right in there, bam, you know. But she says she went home and had to reevaluate everything. And she had to get in front of God and confess that I'm not over Paul. I want to be with Paul. And then here you see them married today. They, they moved in a direction like that. But it, it was somebody saying, you're talking crazy talk. That changed her perspective. Terry and Dennis Adams are here with us today. Terry went through a divorce years ago, and she, she, she says, she wrote this to me, she said she felt broken and lost after the divorce. And she, had, she sat down with a friend one day and was just talking about how broken she was. And I don't know the details. She, the de she didn't give me very many details, which is really weird because in person she will talk for an hour. <laughs> but online. But she, she gave me a few details, but she said, I felt broken and lost. And her friend said to her, 
She says, I don't know who's filling you with these lies, but you are the same person you were yesterday. You need to stop the pity party and focus on people who really have problems. Now, it takes a friend to be able to say this to you. It does, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. You can't just go out on the streets and say this kind of stuff to everybody everywhere. But sometimes a good friend will say, you need a high five in the face. And that good friend went and signed Terry up for a ministry to Hispanic people in her area, and she started investing in other people who had needs. And she says in, in, the, in the, the paragraph she sent me, she said she found her true self again. And today she's married to that sexy, beautiful guy on the right. So things are going good. But it was, it was, it was a person saying, stop it, into her life that snapped her to attention. Now, with all that said, let's talk about this for just a second, because you don't want to be just a bunch of Christian buttheads going out there, kicking everybody around all the time. Scripture says this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, so there's a qualifier there, those of you who are spiritual, those of you who are connected to God, walking closely with Him, that's who it instructs. It says you should restore that person gently. It comes with this qualifier, gently. It doesn't say kick people around and beat people up. It says be careful how you handle this. It says, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So it gives you another little qualifier there. It says, if you're going to correct people, be careful. Don't just go out to correct people. And I found this quote in a book I'm reading right now, which I just thought was fantastic. It says, sometimes when jerks become Christians, it's like a bully learning karate. Instead of having Christ transform our hearts and attitudes, we now have a new method with which to beat you up goes on. Our formerly judgmental personality is now backed up by a newfound spirituality. What once was just forcing someone, everyone to agree with my opinion is now forcing everyone to agree with my opinion in the name of God. There are, I, I, I'm learning more and more that there are a lot of Christian jerks out there. And you just don't want to be that person. I'm not against street preaching. I do street preaching. But I'm saying there's a right way and a wrong way, in my opinion, to do street preaching. There's a right way and a wrong way to exhort people. The scripture says so much about it. We're going to fly through some of this. It says, not many of you should become teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. It says, don't think that everybody out there can fix everybody else. If you, if you get on social media today, that's the impression you get. Everybody wants to fix everybody else. But God says, not everybody was designed to do that. Not everybody is qualified to do that. It says, why do you, Jesus said this, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you don't even consider the plank or the board growing out of your own face? Jesus said, be careful. When you're going to correct stuff, he says, you want to examine your own life first. Scripture teaches this one kind of overarching principle, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you don't want to be treated like a jerk, don't treat people like a jerk. It's real quiet in here. As apostles, we could have asserted, this is what Paul says. He says, as apostles, we could have asserted our authority. He could have laid the hammer down. You know, just hammer-fisted people. He says, instead, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. As a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. He says, we could have been hammer-fisted in our treatment of you, but we weren't. We were gentle and treated you like a son, as a loving father. What business, 1 Corinthians 5, it says, what business is it of mine to judge those within the church, uh, outside the church? Right? Aren't we supposed to judge those inside? Even as Christian teachers, a lot of people think they're supposed to go out there and fix everybody's behavior. Scripture teaches just the opposite. It says, yeah, if you're a, a church and you're a pastor and people come to you in your congregation and people that have, have placed you as some kind of something in their lives, then yeah, correct them, teach them, help them. But you're not, your job's not to go out there and fix every single person everywhere. God is comfortable with a very messy world. Just look around and you can see that. He allows it for some time. 
We'll talk about that much more later. But let's talk about exhortation a little bit more. This is Sydney Ansel, who is with us today. Is Sydney Ariane here? And this is her daughters. There was a six-month period in Sydney's life where her mother died, she wrecked her car badly, her house went into foreclosure, she found out that one of her daughters was severely depressed and had been cutting herself, and the other daughter had a very terrible heart condition that required an extremely expensive and dangerous surgery. And she felt like Job. She just felt like, what possibly could go worse than this? And at one point, she got on Facebook and started ranting towards God. And I, didn't, I never saw the rant, and she just briefly told me about it. But apparently, it was enough to where one of her friends noticed it and came over to her home and said, we should, we should talk. And Sydney says that she was just telling, telling people, or telling this, this lady that had come over, she, she used the word hogwash, which is a really funny word. But hogwash, I don't know if you use that in your everyday conversation. It's a great word. Hogwash, it's what you wash the hogs with and all the funk that's left over afterwards. She said, those scripture verses that you're throwing at me, hogwash. It's, it's pig funk. That's how angry she was. But her friend said these words to her at some point during that day. She said, Sydney, I understand how hard this is, but you have to push through and keep trusting. You can choose to keep following God or you can choose the alternative. That's a great line. Ask yourself, what is that? What's the alternative? And she said in her email, boom, with about eight exclamation points after it. Boom! When she heard, okay, you could live for the alternative, she thought, no, I've been there. I don't want that. Because she had been living for God for a while. She had started up a ministry at, at her church. She had been sober for months. And she thought, God, I'm doing all this stuff for you. Why aren't you doing anything for me? And her friend told her, you can either keep trusting and keep waiting, or you can go back to what you were doing. And she said, no, I don't want to do that. And I think today, Sydney would tell you, Life's much, much better. Things have improved dramatically. I mean, or dramatically, whatever the most used word is there. I mean, her life has gotten much, much better. She's deeply connected with God at this point. She's being used by God in different ministries. But it was one person at one time in one place willing to say, you're wrong. It's hard to do. It's hard to say. But sometimes Christians are called to speak the truth in love, is how Scripture teaches it. And then the third way is what is called prophecy. And prophecy would be, a simple definition of prophecy is just speaking on God's behalf. Now, there's deeper definitions of where God actually miraculously communicates with people and then they communicate that message. But it, in, in practical purposes, the prophecy is just that. It's stepping up and saying something that God would say to someone. And I, at some point, I'll dive deeper into this. I've seen, I've seen the... the prior definition where God communicates and then you communicate to others. I've seen it many times in my own life. I've seen it many times in other people's lives. It's something that happens today is prophecy, like the gift of prophecy, miraculous prophecy, knowing things you shouldn't know. I've seen it in my own life. We'll talk about it one day. But Christian Cohen, who's been coming to our church for quite a while now, several months, she was in, uh, at, at university and she went to a Bible study with a bunch of her friends. And she said she had no interest in going to this Bible study, but she didn't want to be left out, and all her friends were going. And so she went to this Bible study and sat through it, and, and she said that the, the, the preacher was talking about our desires and the desires that we have that kind of wage war against us, and that there are voids in our life that, that we try to fill with all these other things and that only God can fill those voids. And at one point in the middle of the Bible study, he stops and he points right at her, and he says that he looks her right in the eye. He stops the Bible study and looks her right in the eye. And she says that prior to this, she had been bouncing from relationship to relationship, trying to find happiness, and couldn't find it anywhere. And she was often heartbroken. 
and, and usually depressed. But he looks at her right in the eye and he points at her and he says this, these words. He says, not one more night, not one more night will you find your acceptance in a man. And he like pinpoints her and says, this is your issue, Kristen. He says, he says and I don't, I don't know all the details, she didn't spell it out for me, but he, I mean, that takes some guts, I think, to, to do that in the middle of a Bible study with people you don't know. But she says, before this, I was a non-believer and a skeptic. Afterwards, no more. She knew that God not only communicated through people, that God knew her and was communicating with her, and it, cha it changed the course of her life. She did not want to be at that Bible study, but she continued to go after that. Now she attends our church. God has changed the direction of her life because somebody was gutsy enough, bold enough to say, you, God wants to speak to you today. And again, we'll, we'll talk in later months uh, about how that works and when it works and if it works and if we're just crazy or if it's actually the thoughts of God. But I think there's ample evidence to show that this kind of thing still does happen. And even stuff a lot more radical than this. But we'll save those for later months. Paul taught this. Pursue love, yet desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So he talks about all these gifts that the Holy Spirit will give people, like like healing and speaking in tongues and words of knowledge, being able to know things you shouldn't know, words of wisdom, being able to answer things that you, sh you shouldn't be able to answer. But he says prophecy is the one you should want the most. You should want to be a person with the most used on your lips, the person who can step into a person's life and speak words from God that change them. And that's what prophecy is. I'll finish with one story. Liz Woods, who's our children's minister here, it was a big deal for Liz to come here. Even now, she's, it's tough. Life's tough for her. She's living in a, just a single-bedroom apartment over in old Louisville. She gave, she gave up a, a nice, prospering, potential nice career over in Murray, Kentucky, teaching international students to come over here to minister to children in the, in the next theater over. She gave up her life to come here. And before she left, she was at a, a cookout, a picnic, with a bunch of her friends back in Murray. And they were all having a good time, and they were getting ready to go out on some mission together, and she wasn't able to go because she was coming to Louisville. And she said she was kind of sitting there, kind of feeling sorry for herself, and, and thinking, you know, am I making the right decision, and kind of filled with fear about the whole thing, which is justifiable. She, she gave up everything to come over here with no idea whether this church would succeed or not, no idea whether she could find employment over here or not. So she's sitting there thinking about this stuff, when this boy, Isaiah Brooks, comes up to him. And Isaiah Brooks was five years old at the time. I introduced you to his parents a couple weeks ago, Ryan and Kathleen Brooks, good friends of mine. And Isaiah Brooks comes up to Liz, and he, he gets real serious. He just walks right up to her, and he looks her in the eyes, and he says, Liz, and he says these words. He says, Liz, you're a shiny commander with gold armor. <laughs> How great is that? So you might hear me talk about prophecy and think, well, that could never happen to me. I'm telling you, Isaiah Brooks prophesied into her life that day. A little boy who didn't even, he probably can't even say the word prophecy at this point, stepped up and said words to her that she will never, ever forget. Words that filled her with courage. We talked about encouragement. She suddenly felt, yeah, I could, I could do this. I am something. God has done something with me, created me to be something. And a five-year-old said the most use to her, 
the right precise word at the right precise time that launched her in a different direction. And my prayer is that we will be a church that that's one of our passions, is I want to say things to people that launch their lives, that, that, that open up new realms of loving Jesus, that, that when, 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 I, when I speak to I hope that when I speak to people, something happens where they say, yes, God, yes, God, what? What do you want? Yes. That, if we would have the Mojust on our lips, we would have the Holy Spirit in our tongue, things change. My prayer is that that will be a passion of yours. My buddy Scott mentioned this verse yesterday. I want to share it. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. I saw yesterday, we went to the uh, Kentucky Derby Museum this week, and we found out that the, the winner of the Kentucky Derby gets a statue that's four pounds of pure gold. And that's a boatload of money. Boatload of money. But this is saying apples made of gold in fill, fillings of silver, a basket made of silver. It's, it's talking about real treasure. It says, a word fitly spoken is a wealth of riches. We need to be people who we only, the goal is that we only say that which builds others up. Mother Teresa said, help one person at a time and always start with the person nearest you. I pray that we will be people who, every time we're around others, that something comes out of our mouths that builds them up and sends them in the direction God wants them to go.